Turn with me to Luke chapter number 17. Luke chapter number 17, and we're going to be looking at the entire chapter over the next two weeks. And Christ gives us here four life lessons. Forgiveness, faith, thankfulness, and preparedness. And we're going to do the first three this morning, and then we'll do preparedness, Lord willing, next Sunday morning. Let's begin reading. We'll just read verses 1 through 10. Then said he unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word and time together with your church in your word. We ask for your blessing upon it now. Holy Spirit, we ask you in this time to do a work that only you can in illuminating the all-sufficient word to us, that we might grow, that we might be further conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Thank you for justification. Thank you that you are sanctifying us. Thank you for our hope of glorification. And so, Lord, we ask your blessing upon this time as we feast from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke begins with recording Jesus' teaching on forgiveness and on faith. And it reads as teaching on the faith to be able to forgive as prescribed by Jesus. Now, he begins with forgiveness, and then he addresses the disciples' request for this increased faith. And then he finishes out his point with an illustration on both of these things. So I want us to start with verses 1 and 2 and look at how Jesus speaks of the temptation to sin. He said to his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through who they come. So the disciples of Christ must be on guard against sinning. Jesus himself says here, Surely the temptations will exist for you to sin. Now, with that, he also says, we must be sure that we're not the ones through which these temptations come. We must be sure that we're not a stumbling block in someone else's path. And then in verse 2, he says, it would be better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Now, that is a, a drastic statement for Christ. On one end, he's saying it would be better for this person to just kill themselves or for someone to kill them 
than for him to become this stumbling block to sin. At the same notion, he, he illustrates it in such a way that it wouldn't be taken in seriousness other than to explode the intensity of what he means when he says, don't be a stumbling block for someone else's sinning. Now, a, a millstone, they would have had a donkey, a mule, some animal that would have ground, would have been the motor to pull around this grinding rock to take care of the grinding of wheat and such things at corn that needed to happen in their day. And it was this rather large rock. And so to tie this around your neck would have been odd, would have been like these celebrities that we see sometimes that they want us to know that they've made it big. And they, you know, saw this one guy, he had a whole clock around his neck one time. And I thought, what is that for? Why is he doing this? But it would have been even more exaggerated than that. This would have been Jesus, you know, just... It's kind of like the, the story where he says, you're trying to get a speck out of your brother's eye and you have a telephone pole hanging out of your eye. No, literally, you couldn't have something that large coming out of your eye, and that's his point. And here, his wish is not that anyone die. His wish is that no one becomes a stumbling block for someone else toward sinning. And often we want an answer to the question of, well, who are these little ones? That he should offend one of these little ones. And I think often when we theologically exercise to figure out who exactly these little ones are, it's because we don't want to offend them. But in reality, I think the best thing for us to figure out is not who are these little ones, but, but who are the big ones? Who are the ones Jesus is instructing here? Who are the ones that he's saying, don't be an offense unto sinning for someone else? These are those who could influence someone else. So who is the woe to here this morning? Well, for sure, in this context, it's to the Pharisees. It would have been given to the apostles. It would have been given to pastors, teachers, professors in our day. Woe to parents. Woe to the older. Woe to the richer. Woe to the stronger. Whoever the influencer is, woe to you, lest you become a stumbling block of sin to someone who is under your influence. These little ones. So this is Jesus' instruction. His disciples then are all little ones up against this, as we are all taught and under the authority of someone or something. With this, then, he begins to instruct on the forgiving those who sin. Not only must we watch out for being a stumbling block to sin for the little ones, verse 3 and 4 teach us that we are to reprove those who would sin against us. And if they repent, we are to forgive them. And he even goes drastic here again, even if they repent seven times in one day. So he says, take heed to yourselves. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Now I'm going to give you a, some chance theology here. This is maybe not biblical theology, but I get it from the Scripture, so I think I'm all right here. We often try so hard to be nice as Christians. Who all in here, like you, don't want to be a nice Christian? Anybody else besides me? How many of you don't care? You just want to be... <laughs> any, any people say, I'm mean? Just want to be a mean? All right, there's some meanies in here. You all hurt my feelings. In trying to be nice Christians, I think we step right over what Jesus is instructing here. He's a, he gives a big if statement in verse 3, that if he repent, then forgive him. We've sort of started operating on this fact of that we should just always be forgiving everybody all the time, no matter what. I get that. And you could take some other scriptures and illustrate that. 
But probably there are times you find yourself in a situation where you say, I'm willing to extend the forgiveness, but they've not repented yet. And I think it's okay that you hold a line there. If I'm not extending the forgiveness until they repent. Because God himself holds that line, does he not? So I think that's an all right line to hold. Now, that, that does not get into exactly what Jesus is teaching here, but it's just kind of one of those nuggets from Scripture that I liked, mostly because it gives me a good reason to be bitter. No, not really. We're not supposed to be bitter. No, he says here, if, you're, if your brother trespass against you, the first step is for you to rebuke him. Now, you can't sit around upset that someone has sinned against you and you've not talked to them about it. We don't like that part, do we? It's awkward. I don't want to talk to them about it. But you're supposed to talk to them about it. And you're supposed to be able to biblically explain to them, prayerfully and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, how they've sinned. Now, if you can't biblically explain to them how they've sinned, have they sinned? Maybe against your conscience at best, but it's not always clear that they've actually committed a sin. So if you can't biblically put your finger on it, what should you do with that person? Leave them be. Just let them, let them alone. That's how they want to live their life. That's fine. Now, if you don't think it's wise, if you don't think it's smart, if you don't think it's becoming of, their, of themselves, well, unless you have a relationship with them to be able to tell them those things, like my mother has that relationship with me. I've noticed with my mom, she watches all these services through the live stream. If you want to know the real reason why I'm against the live stream, that's it. No matter what I say, it's because I know mama's watching. I've noticed my mom, when she agrees with what I preach, she hits like on the Facebook page there. Or she'll say, good sermon, son. When she doesn't agree with what I preach, she doesn't always tell me. She'll text me and say, I watched your sermon today. (laughs) This is usually the clue to me that I better check up on something that I got my doctrine wrong on or messed up with. But But if a person hasn't sinned biblically, there are times when they sin against your conscience. Maybe that's time for a discussion there when you... You know, Paul deals with this. He said, if it offends my brother for me to eat meat sacrificed to idols, then I'm not going to eat meat sacrificed to idols because it would be a sin against their conscience, even though it's not a sin for me to eat that particular meat. We can get into all of those things, but remember the context of what Jesus is talking about here. Don't be a stumbling block to sin for these little ones. One way we can be a stumbling block to sin to those that are under our influence is for us to be doing things that would lead them to do those things as well. That's not good. Another way we can be the stumbling block is if we're not willing to have the conversation with them when we know directly they're doing something they shouldn't do. Those things are hard. Parents, you're doing this all the time, every day. You're having to sit down with your children. You're having to say, this is not right. This is the right way. And this is how we are to do it. And this is how we're not to do it. That's called discipline. But even with our friends and our faith family, we're, we're to be having these talks. We're to be instructing other people in their sinfulness. And then Jesus' instruction is, and if they repent, then you forgive them. And he goes on to say, even if they sin against you seven times in the same day. (sighs) That's hard, isn't it? I love the disciples, or it says the apostles reply in verse number five. Jesus tells them this, and what do they say? Help, Lord. Increase our faith, because we don't have that much faith to be able to forgive somebody seven times in a day. You'll remember parallel gospels. Jesus is on this same note, and somebody asks, I think it's Peter, it says, how many times should we forgive them, Lord? And he said, seven times? And he says, no, seven times 70. I did the math. 
No, we shouldn't do the math. The, the point is not seven times. The point is, in a day, there should be no limit on the, the amount of forgiveness that we should offer someone. There's a psalm where the psalmist says, I will praise thee seven times in a day. The point was not, there's seven times in the day that I have to pray and praise the Lord. The point was, I'm going to completely praise you today. Seven is the number of completion. This was just the number that they threw out to say all day long from beginning to end, I'm going to be praising you, oh God. Well, our forgiveness needs to be the same way. Well, why? How could Jesus so matter-of-factly assume this, uh, prescribe this to them? Well, they've, they will have been forgiven all. When you've experienced the full mercy and grace of the Lord to have been forgiven all, then how dare we withhold that from somebody else? Isn't it how we want God to treat us? To forgive us an unlimited amount of times in the day? Anybody here this morning could testify and say, oh, no, no, no. I have a set number of times I expect God to forgive me in a day, and anything more than that, he can do me to hell. No, that's not how we operate. We want to be forgiven every time we ask. Don't you want other people to treat you that way? Oh, I messed up. Will you please forgive me for that? Oh, of course I'll forgive you. And when they don't, it upsets you. Oh, they wouldn't forgive me. I asked them to forgive me. Why would we not extend that same forgiveness to other people? This is Jesus' prescription. Now, I think it's okay that the disciples admit there, well, we are lacking in our faith to be able to do this because surely they were. I like how Jesus handles this for them. Verse 6, he said, if you, if you had the faith as a grain of a mustard seed, so you've probably seen a mustard seed. It's a tiny little seed, a little smaller than like a sunflower kernel, not the, the sunflower seed, but the piece inside. A mustard seed is even smaller than that. And then if you were to hit that with a hammer and crush it into a powder, then one grain of that. So this is itty-bitty microscopic amount. Jesus says if you have that much faith, you might say to this tree, be plucked up by the root and be planted by the sea, and it would obey you. And that'd be a thing to see. I wish some of you had that much faith because I'd like to watch you say to a large oak tree somewhere else, be plucked up by your roots and walk over here to Butterworth Road and plant yourself down there where the the dying oak tree is because we want to replace that oak tree. But we don't want to wait 38 years for it to get as big as it was. We want to be that height right now. What a unique thing that would be to see an oak tree walk over here and plant itself down. Any Hobbit fans in here, here, you feeling me right now? Another instance, Jesus said, if you had this kind of faith, just just enough as the minute grain of mustard seed, what else could you do? You could move mountains. We had a pastor friend in North Carolina when we were teenagers, and he would always tell this story. We loved the story. His church had some property that they had a small building on, and then there was this mountain. And they owned the mountain, but they couldn't put their, they needed a larger building, they couldn't put it on the mountain because they couldn't afford to do the dirt work and the rock work that you needed to level the mountain to be able to put the work there. So they prayed and they trusted the Lord. Lord, we need a larger building. We need a larger place to gather for our services, but we need you to move this mountain. Well, Walmart decided to go in near them and needed an easement from this church to be able to use a portion of that property to get to the land that they had purchased right beside them. Guess what Walmart paid to do? Move the mountain. I like that in the practical sense. Now, I don't know that that's exactly what Jesus means in this regard here. I don't think he's saying to them, disciples, you've asked me to increase your faith so that you have enough faith to do this, but it only requires a small amount of faith to do this. Probably that's true, and that's okay. 
But I think what Jesus is saying here is there's no measure to the levels of faith that we have or we don't have. You have faith or you don't. You're saved or you're not. There's a little boy that my pastor would tell about in the church we grew up in and kind of walked down the street, walked to church by himself, came from a rough part of the neighborhood, rough house. And so the pastor just talked with him one day and he said, have you ever been saved? And he said, well, I'm halfway saved. And he said, well, how'd you get halfway saved? And he said, well, when I was a little boy, they sprinkled me, so I've been baptized and I'm halfway saved and someday I'll get all the way saved. And my pastor said, well, would you like to be all the way saved? And he said, yeah, I'd love to be all the way saved. And so he shared the gospel with him. The young boy repented and asked the Lord to save him and got all the way saved. Well, we think that's comical because you're not halfway saved or all the way saved or any of these things. And I think this is Jesus' point here. Are there in-betweens in our faith? I only have a little bit of faith or I have a whole lot of faith. I understand scriptural teaching on dynamic faith, faith that can move mountains, faith like Caleb. Oh, man, I love Caleb's story in the Bible. He says to Joshua, he and Joshua were promised because they were the good spies. They weren't the bad spies. Did you all learn that? It's Twelve men went to spy on Cain, and ten were bad, and two were good. What do you think they saw in Cain? And ten were bad, and two were good. Some saw giants big and strong. Some saw grapes in clusters long. Some saw God was in it all, but ten were bad and two were good. I was thinking it wasn't that bad, Jesse. You don't have to walk out on me. Good grief. <laughs> so Joshua and Caleb are promised this inheritance. And Caleb, is he's older by the time that they get up to this point of the handing out of the inheritance. And he goes to Joshua and he doesn't say, Hey, I was promised this, but I'm older now. It's mountains and it's full of giants. Probably you give that to some young guy and I'll just stay somewhere else. What does Caleb say to him? Give me my mountain. He didn't care. I'll whip those giants and I'll take that mountain land and it's mine. It's what the Lord has given me. So he'll give me the strength to take it. I love that faith. I love dynamic faith. It's a wonderful thing. And I think we should all work to have that type of dynamic faith where we're always trusting. But in this regard, Jesus is simply making the point as they say, Lord, increase our faith. Oh, you don't, you don't really need to increase faith. Because let me tell you something about faith. If you just had this minute particle of an amount of faith, you could make a tree walk over to some other place and replant itself. To say what? Me increasing your faith is not going to allow you to be more forgiving to other people. That's what Jesus is saying. You being in the faith is what will allow you to be more forgiving to other people. You can't bring it in yourself to forgive one time, three times, seven times. It's not your faith that's lacking It's your exercise of understanding that you're under the grace of God that's lacking. You've missed being in the faith altogether. Because a blind man who's been given his sight is not going to hide that and keep other people from it. A lame man who couldn't walk, who's been able to walk and then tote his bed and go home, is not going to keep that from other people. A sinner saved by grace, truly experiencing regeneration, being born again by the Holy Spirit of God. 
and all their sins being forgiven. It's not going to keep that from other people. If you find yourself there this morning, I think you should start back with your conversion. If you're holding forgiveness, go back to your conversion. If you're sure there, if you no, I, I know I'm saved. Well, there's probably a point there where you need to be revived. There's probably a point there where, like Paul talked to the Corinthians, and he said, you've, you've gone back to being like the world. We're the elect. We're not to be acting like the world. We're to be acting like the church. This is Jesus' teaching. And he illustrates this through verses 7 through 10 through this story. Now, let me reread it again. You have all that on your mind as we go through this, and I'll try to, along the way, explain this a little bit. It's an odd story. He says in verse 7, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Get ready, wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Now, that doesn't abide in our day. We're the opposite. Verse 7 says, Your servant's been out plowing or feeding cattle all day long. And when he comes from the field, do you say to him, Oh, come on in here and sit down. You've worked hard all day. That's kind of how we do things, isn't it? You've earned this. Verse 8, Jesus says, No, what's actually customary is the opposite. When your servant comes in from the field, you don't say, Come and sit down and eat. You say, oh, good thing you're here because I'm ready to eat. So you need to go in there and cook dinner. And you need to clean yourself up so that you can come serve me. And after I've eaten and after I've drank, then you can eat and drink yourself. That's harsh, isn't it? You've been in the house all day waiting on this guy. And he's been out there plowing and farming. And he gets back and you say, well, hurry up and clean yourself up and cook me some dinner. Verse 9, he explains. Doth he think that doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? And he says, No, I think not. So likewise ye, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded, commanded you, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Paul. Paul wrote to the Romans in chapter 12, and he just he called this our reasonable service. This is the thing he talks about here. This is what Jesus is talking about here, our reasonable service. Just doing what it is you're supposed to do. Do we, do we get congratulated for doing what we're supposed to do? Do they, do they clap for you when you show up to work in the mornings? You're here. We're so glad you're here. When you finish the day and you clock out and you get on your way home, do they stand there every day and pat you on the back? You did good today. We hope you'll come back tomorrow. It's an odd climate we live in here. Maybe they are doing these things or having to do these things to get people to show up to work. I'm not sure. But I guess you guys do that for me. I show up to work once a week. You stand at the back door, shake my hand, say, good job. Maybe we're being unbiblical there. Jesus said, no, what we should say, instead of requiring thanks, is what we should say. After a full day's work and after serving the master his dinner, and we sit down to eat our own dinner, what we should say, the right spirit, the right heart that we should have is, we are unprofitable servants. Meaning what? Meaning no matter what the master piles upon us as his slaves, we are still not profiting him anything in this. We're costing him something. For you are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your mortal bodies. 
R.C. Sproul says, Jesus' lesson is this. If God commands us to do something and we don't do it, we are in trouble. However, if we do what he commands, this is not an occasion for boasting. For we have done no more than what was expected of us. We are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So how could we ever deny another in Christ forgiveness if they repent when we experience just the same from our master? Jesus illustrates our pride when we exert self-worth instead of our true unworthiness. I've sinned, will you forgive me? I'm having trouble forgiving you there. You're exerting self-worth when really you're just an unworthy sinner, same as them. That's what Jesus is saying. A theologian named Roy Hessian wrote five things to live by in regards to Jesus' illustration here. First, he says, we are fools and slaves for Christ, and as such, we must be willing to have one thing on top of another put on us without any consideration being given. That's hard to live by, isn't it? Just one thing after another. Just put it on me, Lord. But this is how we are to live. Second, in doing this, we must be willing not to be thanked for it. And that doesn't mean the rest of us can never, we should not be saying thank you, but we should not operate for the praise of men. In fact, when we operate for the praise of men and we receive the praise of men, what have we lost? We've lost eternal reward. Third, he says, having done all this, we must not charge the master with selfishness. We heard Gracia Burnham testify to this very well. She didn't say, why me, Lord? She says, Lord, what are you trying to do with me through this thing? And she expressed to us through her testimony of how God molded and made her over being kidnapped by terrorists for over, for over a year. And even now she lives her master's servant, even though it took her husband. And she says, glory to his name. Great is his faithfulness. We mustn't charge the master with selfishness. Fourth, we must confess that we are unprofitable servants. That's a hard one. We're, we're capitalistic Americans. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord, right? It's hard. We like to be profitable. We like to think profitable. We, in the church setting, you've got a growing church. You've got a nice church. You've got good people. We do good things. We help the community. We help the poor. We're reaching the lost. Well, if we're doing the Great Commission, aren't we just doing what we were supposed to do? That still costs Christ his life. Up against that, we're not profitable. We're unprofitable servants. That brings a level of humility to this game that maybe we're missing. And then finally, we must admit that doing and bearing what we have in the way of meekness and humility, we have not done one stitch more than it was our duty to do, our reasonable service. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice unto God, which is your reasonable service. What is our reasonable service? Dying to self, living to Christ daily. I die daily. If I'm not living to myself and my own pride, for my own dreams, for my own ambitions, for my own aspirations, it'll be easier for me to be able to forgive my brother. That's the faith that is required 
to practice this sort of forgiveness. But when I'm living to my own ambitions, well, then I would say like the disciples, okay, Lord, I can do that, but you're going to have to give me the faith to be able to do that because where I am right now, I can't do that. And Jesus says, no, you're missing the point. The point is not that I increase your faith to bring you to this new level of Christianity. The point is you've been saved by God's grace, not of works, lest any of you should boast. You're an unprofitable servant. You owe nothing more than to be forgiven to everybody all the time. Now, he follows this up with a lesson on thankfulness. And that's our third lesson, and I'll briefly cover it, and we can go home. Verse 11 through 19, we get the story of the ten lepers. Not leopards. He did not change the leopard's spots. Are we clear on this? We're not talking about animals. We're talking about guys with disease. Verse 11, And it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? There are not found that returned to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. So here we get a third lesson in thankfulness. Faith, forgiveness, thankfulness. Instead of going through life as if God owes us something, we are to have a heart of thankfulness. There's a great story. It's not a true story, but it's a fun story about a mother whose son was swept away by a tornado. She cried out to help as she, as, to God for help as she sees him go up into the clouds there. Please, Lord, bring back my boy. He's, he's all I have. I'll do anything to get him back. And then all of a sudden, her son falls from the sky right at her feet. He's a little bit shaken up, but he's safe and he's sound. There's not a scratch on him. But as his mother joyfully embraces her son, she noticed that something was still missing. So she glares up to the heavens and she says, He was wearing a hat, Lord. <laughs> Are we not this way often in our regards to our thankfulness and our lives of gratitude? To the Lord. We begin this story and we find in verses 11 through 13 these 10 lepers who were wishing for healing. Jesus, Luke tells us, is on a trip to Jerusalem and he goes through Samaria and Galilee. And, and I'm going to say, I'm going to briefly cover this this morning. I've actually got another sermon on the 10 lepers and we I really dig into these particular verses. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on here on who these lepers were, where they were from, that Jesus was in Samaria, wasn't a Jew shouldn't be in Samaria, these kinds of things. There's a lot happening here in regards to who's clean, who's unclean, who we should deal with and who we shouldn't. And it's very helpful in you and I dealing with in our day, like we're, we're bombarded with um, racial tension, social justice, all of these types of things. I'm not going to share that sermon with you this morning, but I want you to know as I go through this that I'm not purposely skipping those things I've preached it to you before, and I'm skipping it because I've preached it to you recently, and and I just want to get to the point of thankfulness this morning. So Jesus encounters on his way here ten men who are sick with leprosy, and these ten men, they cry out to Jesus for mercy. Well, verse 11 then, he enters Samaria, and he encounters Samarians 
which makes Jesus unclean under the Jewish law. Then in verse 12, we see that he encounters lepers, and lepers were ceremonially defiled and forced to live outside of the village. The lepers were legally required to stand at a distance. They couldn't spend their time near others who weren't sick for fear of making them sick. We all kind of experienced some of that during COVID. you got to stay six feet away. i got to tell you, I'm a big fan of that. I wish they'd put the dots back down in the stores. You stand over there on your dot, I'll stand over here on my dot. I don't care if we get COVID, I just don't want to be near you. Will you forgive me? (laughs) Seven times. Verse 13, we we see their communication then, because they are distancing themselves, was by shouting. They lifted up their voices and they said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So they only sought to to get Jesus' attention at a distance. They said, we're unclean. You could stay away because we don't want to make you sick. But if you would just say a prayer, if you would just have, if you would do something, if you would, you could heal us, Jesus. We believe that. They don't expect him to come where they are. They know of him. They call him Jesus. They call him Master. They just want physical healing from them. But Jesus, he wants to do more. He does come to where they are. So these men are wishing for healing. Second, we see these men were willing to obey. Verse 14. And he said to them, go and show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Now Jesus here, he gives no great healing formula. He doesn't say any words of all in them. He doesn't doesn't do anything dramatic. He doesn't even touch them. He just says, go let the priests see you. Now understand the connotations of that. You didn't go to the priest unless you, you thought you were healed. Or even if you thought you were getting better, you would go show yourself to the priest and he could be the judge of, Are you getting better? Are you being healed of your leprosy here? So for Jesus to say, go and show yourself to the priest, is his way of saying, you're as good as already healed. But in this moment, as he says, go and show yourselves to the priest, they're not already healed. They're lepers. They just ask him for healing here. It's a unique thing the way Jesus handles this. This command, go and show yourselves to the priest, it demands action from these sick men. They They would have to go to the priest and it's kind of like the little boy who cried wolf. You can't just every day be going over to the priest and say, hey, can I go home? I think I'm getting better. No, you're not getting better. Go back to the leper colony. But this was a big deal. If they were getting better, if they were healed, then they could return home to their families. They could have dinner at home tonight. They could go back to normal human contacts. But what we find in the layout of how Luke presents this miracle to us These guys had to start to the priests before they were actually healed. And all ten of these guys exercised faith in what Jesus said. They start for the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. When they obeyed, healing came. Now here we get a great lesson in faith. And be sure you understand faith here. Faith was not mental assent. Faith was physical obedience. Now, I understand there's got to be mental assent before there can be physical obedience. I'm not addressing that. I'm addressing that somewhere along the line in church history, we bought into this idea that it doesn't require any physical obedience. Just so long as we have mental assent, well, then we're going to be okay. Well, the problem with that is the mental assent and faith in Christ is transforming 
So if there is no physical obedience proving the transformation, then what can we conclude? There has been no transformation. This is a great lesson we learn here. These men were willing to obey the words of Christ, and they were healed. They didn't sit there and in their minds confess, we believe in what you said, Jesus. I say this to the current church because we've taken come as you are to a whole new extreme. We've taken it to, to a too far of an extreme. Too many today claim to be people of faith while not physically obeying God's words. And they throw things back up in the Bible's face and in those who would teach and preach and live by the Bible, Scripture alone. They'll throw it up and say, but what about love? Yeah, I love my kids enough that I tell them, don't play in the street. You'll be run over by a car. In fact, if you do play in the street, and I've told you not to play in the street, what's going to happen, Thomas? You could say it. There we go. He was politically correct there for a moment. You're going to get in trouble. I'm going to spank your bottom. Is that hate? No, that's not hate. There's nobody in their right mind. No, you can abuse and all of that. We can have a discussion on how to discipline your children on Wednesday night. But 6 o'clock in the kitchen. (laughs) That's happening. But if, but if you refuse to discipline, aren't you guilty of verses 1 through 4? That's what he just said. If your brother sin against you, rebuke him, and when he repents, forgive him. This is what Jesus is exercising and what he's illustrating with the story of these lepers. Faith is not mental assent, it's physical obedience. Many claim to be followers of Christ but they never go and do as he did. Well, then you're not a follower of Christ. I can tell you that I'm a Braves fan until you're blue in the face. But if every time you talk to me, I haven't watched the games, if you never see me with a hat with a big blue and white A on the front there, not that ugly crimson one that they stole, you're going to wonder, is this guy really a Braves fan or is he not? Now, as opposed to being levels of faith, there are being levels of Braves fans. If you ask Henry and Aunt Redonna, they'd say, I'm not much of a Braves fan, but, you know, more Braves fan than all the other teams out there. So in that regard, I'm struggling, and you guys need to help me on. There will always be Christians like this, right? And our faith is the same way. If we are truly followers of Christ, it will be evident in our lives. The, the Christians were not called Christians because they told everybody around them, we're Christians. They were not called Christians because they put music out and said, this is Christian music. They were not Christians because they built bookstores and put literature in there and said, this is Christian literature. No, they were called Christians because the world around them observed their actions and said, these people are like little Christs running around the world. They killed off the one, boom, and then it exploded into all these other ones doing just like he was doing. They didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians first in Antioch, Act tells us. Well, we've really monopolized on that, though, haven't we? 
We've got our Christian bookstores and our Christian coffee shops and our Christian music and our Christian movies and we've got our Christian everything. Christian is not an adjective. It's a noun. You could describe yourself in any way that you want, but how would your neighbor describe you? Saving faith produces obedient actions. Saving faith produces obedient actions. If you're not doing Christian things, then you are not a Christian. If you would prefer to do unholy things, then you're not a Christian. And I'm not telling you this to doom you this morning. I'm telling you this as if saying, don't play in the street. You'll get hit by a car. Now, I'm not going to spank you all. But I'd prefer you stay out the street. And I will speak truth to you, which is, Faith is more than mental assent. Faith is obedience. They had to obey in faith prior to realizing their healing. And and we want just the opposite. Jesus, if you will heal me, then I'll spend all of my time obeying you. That's not how Jesus works. In fact, he works the opposite of that. Obey him, then you can see the faith begin to work. Go show yourselves to the priest. They didn't say, well, we're still covered in sores. They said, okay, and they went. And as they went, they were healed. So here's ten lepers who were wishing for healing. They were willing to obey. But then there's this question in here. Where are the nine? Only one is thankful. Verse 15. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God. Verse 16. He fell at Christ's feet to say thank you. Verse number 17. Jesus responds to his thankfulness with a surprising question. He says, where are the other nine who were healed. And then in verse 18, he asked the question, did, did only this stranger return? Or he says it in a statement, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And then in verse 19, Jesus makes a miraculous statement. He says, for this, your faith has made you whole. Ten received physical healing, but only one of these guys is told this. Only one is told your faith has made you whole. So it's instruction to us I have a heart of thanksgiving, heart of thankfulness. Wiersbe remarks, How grateful the men should have been for the providence of God that brought Jesus into their area, for the love that caused him to pay attention to them in their need, and for the grace and power of God that brought about their healing. Psalm 107, 8 and 9. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfied the longing soul. And he filleth the hungry soul with goodness. What about you this morning? Do you enjoy his gifts and offer thanksgiving? Or do you enjoy his gifts and forget to be thankful to God as the giver? Are we quick to pray but slow to praise? John Calvin rightly said, We have short memories in magnifying God's grace. That's true, Finn. He said, every blessing that God confers upon us perishes through our carelessness if we are not prompt and active in giving thanks. So the third life lesson that Christ teaches here in Luke 17th chapter is thankfulness. Have a heart of thankfulness. Faith. Faith that leads to forgiveness and thankfulness. Is that what characterizes your life? 
Are you that kind of a Christian? Are you a, well, I go over there to the church and punch my ticket once a week and sit through the sermon and sing the songs. I'm a faithful member of Harpeth Baptist Church kind of Christian who outside of that, we, we couldn't tell. You could take my bank statement and figure out real quick what I like. You want to you guess? Coffee and ice cream. There's a whole lot of coffee shop and ice cream shop charges in there. That's where you say amen, Josh. <laughs> Help a brother out there. You have a flavor named after you. If you didn't know, we have a famous person in here this morning. <laughs> what would that look like in your life? Would your bank statement of Christianity prove you to be a Christian? Would it say, oh, it's obvious that they're of the faith because look at how forgiveness operates in their life and look at their thankfulness. Now, don't mishear me this morning. I'm not saying to the lost, this is how you can earn your salvation. No, this is me saying to the saved, this is what your salvation that Jesus earned should look like. This is me saying, hey, Jesus gave us some life lessons, some things to live by here. Are we living by those things? Faith to forgive and thankfulness. And the next time we'll see his instruction on preparedness as he begins to talk about the end times, the kingdom. I want to give that all its own sermon. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father, thank you for time together in your word. Help us to live with a faith that allows us to offer forgiveness and help us to live giving you due glory in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.